that's Sagittarian Matters. John Porcellino, author of King Cat. Also, cartoonist Liz Prince, angry senior citizens, and producer Ponyo goes after a child. All ahead. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Liz Prince is the author of the graphic memoirs Tomboy, Will You Still Love Me If I Wet the Bed, Alone Forever, and more. She's a friend to the show, a friend to me, and I hope we don't sound bitter here as we talk about conventions. By the way, in our talk I reference a comic called Bingo Love by T. Franklin, but I forgot her name. So the author is T. Franklin. T. Franklin. Bingo Love is a comic about queer senior citizens of color, and it reached over 57 thousand dollars on kickstarter check it out liz prince welcome back to sagittarian matters oh my gosh nicole thanks so much for having me again it's your fourth time that sounds about right to me welcome back um yesterday we were driving to dc from baltimore and I almost got into a physical altercation with a senior citizen. Uh, I witnessed this almost physical. I had to kind of de-escalate it. Um, to set the scene, my Google Maps uh, gave us wrong directions. It basically took us down this tiny little like alley side street that was a dead end. And so we tried to turn around in the driveway, a very wide driveway. And when we were backing up the bike rack that was on the back of this borrowed car kind of like crunched on the pavement and it alerted <laughs> the um the very uh angry old man who lived in the house he's obviously very precious about his driveway he was like rapunzel sticking his head out of the second floor window he was at a 10 he started at a 10 started at a 10 uh you know, Nicole was, like, trying to figure out how to get the car out of the driveway without scraping the bike rack thing again. And this guy started yelling at us from the driveway, and I had to kind of alert Nicole to the fact that there was this yelling man in the window. And uh, his his grievances were that it's a private driveway and that we should have turned around in the street. But also, he had placed a cone directly in the middle of the driveway. Uh, like a two-car driveway, you could easily drive on either side of the cone, and it was like up in the middle of the driveway, not down at the base where you would enter. And he was upset because we didn't see the cone and we might have hit the cone. <laughs> There's a cone there, you blind! And he told me... <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he told me that I, should, that I shouldn't have a license and that I was an asshole. And then... Hey, you asshole! McCone! You're going to hit McCone! Did you see the cone, asshole? You should take your license away! And then, so, to de-escalate, I kept getting out of the car and moving the cone, but I was trying not to move it too far from its original place because... He was, like, watching us and yelling at us. He couldn't decide whether or not he wanted us to leave or whether he wanted us to stay so he could keep yelling at us. And so Liz was, like, making an obstacle course for me while this guy was yelling at me. So I yelled to him, sir, you're stressing me out. I can't leave your driveway because you're stressing me out by screaming at me. I have to keep rolling down the window to hear what you're screaming. And then at a certain point, just to make things nicer, he... He yelled, so much you take your license away. And I said, why don't you come down here and take it from me? <laughs> At which point he disappeared from the window and we left. And I don't know if that meant that he was loading his gun or trying to hobble down the stairs to take Nicole's license away. He, he disappeared from the window and I was like, Liz, move the codes quick. <laughs> so Liz had to get out of the car again. It was like the third time I had handled those cones. I think that he was. I like that he was in the, like a wheelchair that went like zzz, down the stairs, like in Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm-hmm. and that he was like slowly descending the stairs in his motorized wheelchair. 
And then um, as we were driving away <laughs> at the right time, he was basically like, my precious antique cones. <laughs> my coach, I just was like, sir, with all due respect, you're being an asshole right now. And you know, I have the utmost respect for senior citizens, but we did not start off with them having mutual respect for me. He started in the red zone. I got, I met him there. I'm not proud of it. I was trying to be somewhere in the middle I think at one point I yelled like, "We're trying, we're trying our best to leave your driveway. We don't want to be here either, sir. You don't want us here. We don't want to be here." I wish. I mean, then I later I'm like, we should have just stopped and just talked it out. And just talk. Just be like, you know what? What's what are you know what's really going on for you? Yeah, and that's how we started our new counseling service. Um, called with all due respect, you're being an asshole and you're stressing me out. Yeah. Uh, so. For only fifty nine ninety nine per hour, we will go to your house and we'll talk you down from the brink of whatever kind of nuclear anger meltdown you're trying to have. By calling you an asshole. By, call, by pointing out that you are being an asshole. That's actually not enough money, I think. I mean, $59.95 each. Okay. Anyway, Liz, we're here for a comics show. Uh, by the time this airs, the comic show will be long gone. So it doesn't even matter what show it is. But um, we were talking about, I don't know, what do you want to talk about? Well, we were kind of talking about gatekeepers of the industry and how when you're on the outside of this comics business, because it's a business, uh, it's kind of easy to see certain publishers or certain accolades or awards as being like the highest echelon of success and how uh, in certain ways there are certain events that kind of like act as comics tastemakers mm-hmm. I guess but uh, I mean we're going to be honest here we're a little bit salty about the fact that there's not enough diversity in who gets to be promoted by these events or by these tastemakers. It's kind of like the same 10 or 20 people over and over and over again. There are people I like. There are people I love and there are people who I think they totally deserve to be in the spotlight, but it's, um, I don't think that it's promote. it doesn't you know, it doesn't excite me when the same, like, ten people are special guests at every single indie comics convention for the span of, like, three years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking about indie comics conventions, so not like San Diego Comic-Con. Like, indie comics conventions, and they're kind of dominated by the same two or three publishers. And it seems like there's a, a publisher-to-convention pipeline that happens, which is great, and it's fine, and I actually like the quality you know, of the work of those publishers, and I like the artists that they promote, but, and yet... I'm, I'm friends with all of them, and I wish them no ill will, yeah. and I'm not even suggesting that they be replaced with Nicole or I, it's just a, it was a, a recognition that, like, oh, the last time I was at this show, the same people were the special guests. Yeah, and I was saying to Liz, like, I just went to FlameCon in New York, and one of the people who was a special guest there was this woman who did a comic called Bingo Love um, that she funded on Kickstarter. It got like a quadrillion dollars on Kickstarter. And it is a comic about queer black senior citizens who get together after a lifetime of being closeted. Um, And it got so much support on Kickstarter. She has tens of thousands of Twitter followers. She was very popular. Most of the people at our panel were there to see her and support her. But yet, if you went to this indie show and you mentioned that book or you mentioned that artist, whose name I can't remember, I will include in my intro, um, you know, they would be like, who's that? You know, is she? And then they would say, like, is she Chris Ware? Uh, Sorry, I've never heard of her. I've, I mean, I've never heard of her and I actively seek out things like that i kind of i feel like i'm someone who has my ear to the ground yeah in terms of things like that or people Um, like what's that person spike's last name i can't remember but she has a really like she's raised i think possibly like she's raised tens of thousands of dollars on kickstarter for her queer sex comics like 
Yeah, pretty much every Kickstarter she does, you know, raises well above the amount of money that she's asking for. I mean, I would say, like, into the fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 range. Yeah, so she gets to pay everyone who submits to her comics. She, I saw her do a talk at CCA, and she said that she raised, like, over 900% of what she had been asking for one of her Kickstarters. And for most of them, she at least doubles what she was asking for. Um yeah, I would say nine nine times, sorry, not 900%, but nine times what she has asked for. But And yet, when you go to one of these things, if she had a table at all, her table would not be a spotlighted table necessarily, or I haven't seen her as like a special guest. I have at some conventions. Oh, you have? Yes. Oh, well, never mind. Strike me from the record. Uh, you're out, Nicole. Yeah. You're out. But it doesn't even, that's not even really the point. The point is that uh, it's so much harder to get a table at these shows now even though so much more of them exist than when I first started tabling at indie comic shows back in 2004 there were like there was SPX there was Ape I believe in San Jose and Mocha in New York and those are about the only ones that I can really... Those are like the main those indie like the shows. TCAF, probably. Yes, I actually can't remember if TCAF had started then. Um, but, you know, aside from doing zine fests, which have always been a little more, like, low-key and under the radar, now there's so many indie shows like Cake and Short Run and now CXC yep CXC Mice Comic Arts Brooklyn uh what's the one that's in LA LA, LA Zine Fest LA Comics Fest yeah. Cal I don't know Comics yeah. LA so. something like that there's just a, a lot of them but I think that for the most part none of them have just like an open like oh first come first serve you just pay us and you get a table which was how it was at least applying to Ape and also line work line work but i was gonna say i we have different opinions because i don't mind a curated show um i really like being able to go and know that the standards are a certain level but i was suggesting to liz you know part of it because i like having solutions on the podcast so a solution to some of this could be making sure that your panel of people that are judging the comics and who are deciding the people who get in. What are you looking at? I'm just listening <laughs> oh. to you and looking off in the distance. It's like it's, uh, no, I was like, are I'll you looking at... deeply into your eyes. I was like, are you looking at Muppets in Space? Yeah. Me too. I'm just going to... I'm just reading these children's books that are next to me. Oh, okay. Um, it's, you know, making sure that you have a diverse panel of judges. And diverse doesn't just mean that some of them are more tan than other ones. Diverse meaning like people that have different interests, different tastes, come from different angles of comics or literature and have different kind of social agendas. Um, and to, to kind of have a pie chart and be like, okay, we want to have, you know, this many famous people, this many people that we've grandfathered in, this many completely newcomers. And then if we don't already have this, if we need to make an effort to have, you know, make sure that we are making space for women, queer people and people of color to be at our fest. And if we aren't getting enough submissions from those people, what can we do to promote our event to communities where there are those people and make it easier for them to apply or make it more attractive for them to apply? You actually, if you're a straight, white, cisgender dude, you need to go a little bit out of your way to let people know they're welcome. Kind of, you know, the same, like as a queer person, I'm never going to assume that straight, white, comic dude wants me just up in his grill. I'm never going to be like, and me. And if I do, it's because I'm feeling very bold and confident. But I'm never like, that's my natural space. See, but the other side of that coin of the curated show is that it still is allowing people to decide what is quote unquote good or at that level. And that's part of what I take issue with um, because... I don't know that they always get that right. Mm. I just don't want, like, I just even want thematically, I don't want to go into a thing where it's, like, 50 things that are all dudes drawing Renaissance comics or, like, sci-fi comics or... Oh, I, to- I 
totally agree with that. And I, I guess I just feel like I don't think I was encountering that in the days when SPX was just first come, first serve, and mm-hmm. all those shows were. I still recall going to those shows and buying a lot of things from the other people who were tabling because I thought that their stuff was awesome and that I was seeing things that were unique and interesting to me. Liz, do you have tabling tips? What are your convention tips for newcomers? So if we're trying to open the gates wide so that all people come, what are some helpful things for newcomers to know when they're first starting to go to shows? Like how many shows should they go to a year? What do they need to bring to their table? What makes their table like attractive? I think I'm a horrible person to ask that too because I've always just kind of been like the I don't have a sign you know I don't have a big banner that goes on my table I don't have one of those big pull down signs that has my name on it but you don't need those things you've been doing this for years selling a shit ton of books so what do you do well I pretty much just bring a tablecloth bring a nice tablecloth that you that you want to look at all weekend uh and you I put my books on top of that tablecloth. A lot of people like to see a price list these days. Um, A lot of my books have the prices on them, but I agree that making a little just like easy to see list. I think that um, a lot of people who are attendees at this show are afraid of catching the eye of the person who's like the, oh, hey, you looked at me. Come over here. Do you want to read a space opera about octopus vampires who can only come out during the harvest moon? I got a thing for you. You know, the hard sell that doesn't let you walk away. Um, so I think that as much uh, signage that you can have so that a person doesn't have to interact with you if they feel like you might be trying to rope them into something. Mm-hmm. Basically, don't play the hard sell. Don't be the, like, the carnival crier who's like, hey, you were wearing a red shirt. I love red shirts. Come over here and talk to me. What do you say to people when they come to your table? I say, uh, hello, feel free to pick up anything, look at it, uh, and let me know if you have any questions. How much change do you bring? I try to bring around $100 in change. I try to get at least $30 in singles, $30 in fives, and then the rest in tens. Um, uh, I don't know if my square reader is going to work with my new phone because it doesn't have the headphone jack. I just bring. I just have been plugging it in in the square app because my reader broke. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it takes like one millisecond longer. Yeah, I'll probably just do that then. So yeah, I bring change. I always bring a water bottle. And I bring lunch and snacks because you're stuck there. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. And, I mean, you could have – I have made people I've been dating or friends bring me snacks there. But you have to make sure you arrange that stuff ahead of time because once you're in it – also, if you're looking at your phone during the convention, you're a loser. Not to quote the president. But, like, (laughs) nobody wants to go into a store where the person behind the desk is just staring at a phone. You know, we get enough of that with our own friends. So you want to be engaged. Like, you don't want to be, like Liz was saying, staring them down like a carnival barker, but you want to be available, and you don't want it to be difficult for them to engage or get stuff from you. And also, you don't want them to feel like they're interrupting you if they want to buy something. Yeah. The only reason it would be appropriate for them to interrupt you is if you're drawing. That's an appropriate thing to do if you get bored or restless there, is to draw, because they want to see you doing your craft. And you're just pretending like this is where you do the majority of your work. Or yeah. just set up this easel and start drawing. Mm-hmm. Are there any other... So you also... You often have new things at shows. And you also offer deals. Yeah, I try not to table at a convention unless I have something new to offer. If um, if I've been to that convention in the last year or so and I don't have anything new, then I don't go. Um, How far in advance do you sign up for these? Well, usually, I mean, at this point, you have to sign up for them, I would say, six months in advance, usually. Yeah. Six to nine months. Yeah, and uh, there's this great website called Conmon that our friend Nate Beatty programmed that basically just has all of the conventions listed, and it has when their applications are open and when they're closed and uh, how many days, I think how many days until the convention, I might be wrong about that, but it's something that I look at a lot because there's so many of these shows that it's hard to keep track of them, and the good thing about that is that you can also include zine fests so that Mm. if that's something that you're 
interested in branching out to, you can find those things there too. I find also um, there are some cons where you're going to do great and there's some where you're not. And it is easy to let that like infect your mind to be like, fucking, I'm a fucking loser. I just need to quit. But you have to remember talent doesn't always equal money and capitalistic benchmarks of success are not necessarily artistic benchmarks of success. And you may just not be at the right convention. You may have discovered that this wasn't a high selling convention for you, which doesn't have anything to do with your art. It just means you need to find a different space. Your stuff might do better at a zine fest. It might do better at one that's more superhero themed or indie themed. Um, or maybe you need to table with a friend next time. I don't know. How do you feel about tabling with friends? Um, I think it's essential because if you're not and you don't really know or, you know, can interact with the people around you, then it gets pretty lonely. It's nice. There's always going to be a lull mm-hmm. in your sales. Uh, in your interactions with people when either not so many people are walking by your table or X, Y, Z, and it's nice to have somebody to share some social time with. There's something very vulnerable about being there in front of people, and you are hawking your own stuff. So then if people are walking by and you're all alone, it just something feels very vulnerable and kind of emo about it. So if you have friends there and you can be like, look at that fucking asshole just walked by, <laughs> you feel a little bit better like you have a, a homie there. Yeah. A, a compatriot. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, conversely, oh, look at that really awesome. Oh, I wish that person would have stopped and talked to me. Oh, well, maybe next time. Yeah. And then also you'll feel less like you want to start texting people and be like, this fucking sucks. Um, I want to say some other things are after these things, you're totally thrashed. So if there's a place you can stay where you don't have to then interact or tap dance for your host, all the better. And I would never make huge plans for the city after the a conference is over because it's essentially like you've been expending your energy for six to eight hours that whole day, and you're going to want to go lay in a tomb. I have to say that I don't think that's across the board true, and I think that when I was younger, I used to have a lot more energy and excitement for like the convention thing and for going out afterwards and having a big dinner with like 20 people where it's impossible for the restaurant to accommodate you. I still like the dinner. That used to be the way that I would roll for sure. And now I'm like, oh, the convention's over. I'm going to go order takeout from Cheesecake Factory and sit alone in my hotel room. (laughs) I just want to go face a wall and feed my feelings and cry and then go to bed. Do you always cry after a convention? No. Okay. (laughs) I just feel that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah, those are good convention tips. Also, bring a Sharpie, bring paper, bring your Square reader or sign up for a Square account beforehand. Take Venmo and PayPal if you are able to. Uh, Bring all your stuff. Say thank you to the people who organized the event. They worked really hard for it. And even if things don't go 100% perfectly, there's a million moving parts. And make sure you say thank you to them for doing a good job and tell them what you liked about it because they, it's a thankless job. People are complaining to them all day and acting like big fucking babies. If you cannot act like a baby and be self-sufficient and have good manners and even send them a thank you card, they will remember you and be appreciative. And every person you meet there or see there could be helpful to you someday. Whether they are a lifelong fan, maybe you become friends, you stay at their house someday, maybe they are a professor somewhere and they invite you to their classroom or they work for a library someday and want to buy your zines or they organize a convention. If you make a good reputation for yourself, that is much better than if you are a little whiny baby because you're unhappy that day because you're low blood sugar and you didn't bring enough stuff or your table's in a place you didn't think it was. Or maybe that person is just someone who you'll see over and over again at these conventions because they're a fan and you'll just be able to smile and nod and say hello. Yeah. If you are a butthole because you're in a bad mood, you are going to burn a bridge in a very small community, no matter who that person is, that is not going to be great for you. Yeah. So keep it posy, my friends. Keep it positive. Use your manners. Be self-sufficient. Bring your stuff. Sell your stuff. And if you don't sell all of it, it's okay. And you don't necessarily have to break even at these things. It takes a long time to break even. I don't think I was breaking even at these until about four or five years ago, honestly. And I've been tabling at these conventions for over 10 years. So, Oh, other tip. Have things at different price points. So something that's like for the cheapskate and something that's for the collector. Yeah. Oh, and the deal thing is that I'll usually just, if people want to buy multiple books, I'll bundle them and take a couple dollars off the top. Yeah. 
That's nice. And also, I sign things. I recently started signing things in full color since visiting Europe and seeing that Americans are true slackers, signing things in black and white. And in Europe, everything's full color. And they'll spend like 10 or 15 minutes on every single sketch, and people are delighted. And the first time I got a book signed by a European, I was like, holy shit. I was like, this person's a stranger, and she just drew me a full color colored pencil drawing in my book. Like, I don't even know if I'll like this book, but I'll always have a good association with it because this drawing's in it. But Liz, is there anything else you have to say about conventions? Um, I think they're great. I think they're good fun. For me, my favorite part of a convention is going and walking around and seeing artwork from new people that I wasn't aware of before. Uh, I'm definitely the type of person who's way more interested in picking up like some self-published kind of thing at a con than somebody's big published book because I can I know I can go into any store and get that um so I think I still kind of have that like seeking fest mentality about these conventions what's your favorite three conventions uh I'm gonna say SPX cake and short run it's so hard I love SPX short run and line work are neck and neck for me. I have to say I've only tabled at either of those once. Mm. Um, SPX has been consistently... SPX has been consistently great. I love that Short Run is run by women. I know. I'm going to be there this year. Are you going to be there? I am not going to be there this year. In spirit? I'm always there in spirit. I am always haunting these places in spirit. If you're ever looking for Liz Prince, just get a crystal ball and go, ooh, bring out your Ouija board. That's right. Seance me and I will be there. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Nicole. a Seinfeld. But have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, Please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever but in the meantime thank you we appreciate your support and i look forward to saying your name on the podcast producer ponyo looks forward to it too that was ponyo's voice don't be scared bye john porcelino is the author of one of my all-time favorite comics king cat King Cat was one of the first self-published autobiographical comics I ever read as a teenager in Kansas City, and it altered the course of my artistic life forever. John is also the author of The Hospital Suite, Map of My Heart, Diary of a Mosquito Abatement Man, and he runs Spit and Half Comics Distro. John lives with a Sharpay, a Terrier mix, he is a groundhog enthusiast, and he does great dog voices throughout this interview. Please enjoy my talk with... John Porcelino. On my way to Columbus, I stopped in Indianapolis and drove around the city and got lost. And then I sold four zines to the record store. And I made $12 cash. (laughs) Cold, hard American cash in my pocket. So you are, you have benefited greatly. From, from the Trump com- economy? Yeah. Yes. From Trump's Amer- late-stage capitalism? Yes. It's working out. Yeah. John P., welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Hi, I'm a Virgo. You are? Yeah. You know who well, I think Aaron Renier, who's sitting nearby, is also a Virgo. That's why we get along so well. Why do you think so many Virgos are attracted to comics? 
Because they're anal. They're, like, obsessive. They like uh, taking the complex chaos of the world and condensing it into little boxes. Do you think that all cartoonists are control freaks? No, but most of them are. I see. I was thinking about this yesterday. Alison Bechdel is also a Virgo. And I was like, of course she is. Of course. And then I realized, I feel like a lot of us are trying to control the chaos of the world by putting it in little boxes and putting order to it. I know that's true for me. Um, did you see Fun Home the Musical or hear it? No, I didn't. Well, I want to tell you, there's a part, I've been making comics for a long time. There's a part in Fun Home the Musical where she's singing in the end and she's talking about her dad and she's telling this like sad story about her dad, you know, killed himself. And she's talking about trying to make sense of the world and make sense of her past through little marks mm-hmm. on the page. And like this recreation of her father just being little marks. And when I hear that, I start crying. Oh, I, you just hear your voice crack. Like, <laughs> like if I like was singing it right now, I'd be like, he's made of little marks. It's just, I, it's a Did weird. Sing a song like that in this? Yeah, uh-oh, the dog might go after this guy who has um, kind of like a do-rag on. And, uh, oh, she oh she didn't go for the bait. She's, she's going for the Kong. Yeah. But that's not even what I wanted to ask you. Oh. You're a cartoonist. Sure. Yes, I am. You've been making cartoons for how long? Well, since I was a little kid. How long have you been making your own zines? I'm th- pretty sure my first, like, what I'd call a zine was, like, 1983. And that's, that was the first little book I made that I photocopied. Mm-hmm. Like, I made multiple copies of. But I'd say, I mean, from the t- uh, even younger than that, I was drawing and making comics and little books. But they were just like, I'd take a piece of paper, fold them in half, take Elmer's glue, and that would, like, i glue the spine, you mm-hmm. know? So it'd be like... And I would draw and make these stories, but those were just, like, one-off. So those I was really more into artist books at first. So those were a limited edition artist book? Yeah, those were editions of one artist books. And th- So those are in a gallery somewhere right now? Yeah, they're in the Louvre. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Do you think... So the other day I was talking to Aaron Rainier, who's sitting here playing with the dog, mm-hmm. and Alec Longstreth, and I was I was having a weepy moment about how being accomplished in comics as a and having being accomplished in comics and having friends who have other forms like other art forms and they have financial reward <laughs> and I do not sure. but and yet we've worked the same amount of hardness it's a little american dream of me but um i was weeping a little bit i was shedding a tear at alec was alec told me the charles schultz quote that i had never heard which is that cartooning will ruin your life it will break your heart do you agree with that um, cartooning certainly has destroyed several important relationships in my life over the years. How so? Uh, well, because it's the thing that you're compelled to do that takes a tremendous amount of time and energy and commitment. And like you said, you there's not a lot of real world payoff. So if you're in a relationship with a person who uh, expects there to be some kind of real world payoff to it... Um, and sees the amount of time, energy, and commitment that you're putting towards this work instead of, for instance, them, mm-hmm. you know, then uh, they can, you know, it can get a little squeaky. I guess this is a question that I ask a lot of cartoonists. I wasn't sure I was going to ask you, but it seems like a natural. What do you think it's like to date a cartoonist? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's probably maybe a little bit lonely. A little bit confusing. Um, A little bit uh, enervating. Uh, I don't know. I I hope it's good in some way. You know? Because, I don't know. I think cartoonists generally have pretty good attitudes about life. You know? It kind of teaches you valuable life lessons that you can apply to a relationship. But, um... Gosh, I really don't know. Why well, I, I asked this question a long time ago. This guy was an interview to be my roommate. He had dated two cartoonist women in Portland. He was heartbroken by one of them. He was interviewed to be my roommate, and he stopped at some point and said, Nicole, I can't do it anymore. I was like, what? And he said, I can't date another cartoonist. And I was like, 
what does that mean? What is he talking about? I don't, there was something about the cartoonists that broke him. Well, I, and I don't know if it's any different to be in a relationship with a poet or a painter, maybe, you know, yeah. it kind of depends. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, maybe too, like, at least for me being a cartoonist, it's, it's like, I'm probably in my own head a lot of time because even, and that's part of the thing is like, even when I'm not sitting down and actually physically drawing, I'm always working on comics, right? So they're always like ticking yeah. through my head. And so, you know, that might seem like inattention to other things, you know, but, and it's kind of hard to turn it off. And that was always one thing too, for me is like, I'm not the kind of cartoonist that like sits and draws like all the time, like constantly sketching and stuff. I basically just like think a lot mm -hmm. and I write a lot. And then at some point I start drawing. Um, but it like when I start drawing, I just draw, you know, I draw, 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 draw. And um, I can get really like tunnel vision kind of obsessive focused on that stuff. So, you know, that I can't always predict when that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it can kind of run into things where like I, I'm drawing all day, but there's other stuff that needs to get done. But it's like painful to pull myself away from it. Things like that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Totally does. Yeah, so it's just like I you, you get it, you get in this headspace. But wait, question. Mm -hmm. You were so you were you might you maybe are still a punk, but you were like I think I'm thinking about your comics where like the cartoon the character like it's like essentially yeah. a mohawk is like yeah, yeah I'm skateboarding yeah, yeah. Man, dude come on that's so rad oi 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 yeah and then but then at some point there was a shift and your character or in your comics became way more buddhist <laughs> and less like oi oi mm -hmm. how did that shift happen mm. like was there like a day where you were like i had a near-death experience or i picked up a book or well yeah kind of i mean i think i think the early king cat stuff was a combination of like really like obnoxious absurd kind of annoying comics and then but they're even from early on there were like little comics about nothing happening for instance or like you know i i took i kind of it was kind of like a i took a perverse delight in making comics that like somebody would read and they get to the end of it and they just go huh like what was why you know that kind of thing and i think that so i was had kind of both those impulses and then it did happen where, I mean, but also, like, in the background, I was always a person who was, like, really interested in the big questions. Like, you know, like, yeah. when I was a little kid, I was one of the kids who would, like, walk around going, like, why are we here? What is the meaning of all this? And it did it did happen in, like, uh, uh, the mid-90s. I started to have all kinds of really serious health problems. And uh, it forced me to kind of slow down a little bit. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live that kind of lifestyle of you know playing in loud bands and hanging out in bars till 3 a.m and stuff like that so it just i naturally kind of slowed down and i think the balance tilted a little bit towards more of that kind of reflective writing and mm -hmm. and kind of you know thinking about things and trying to put that those questions into comics and so, but yeah, there was, I mean, it, it really was, is your hand getting tired? My hand's getting tired. Oh, you want me to hold it? Oh yeah, well, you yeah, hold it. Okay. Thanks. But then I'm not going to have to go so like that. You have to go like that. Yeah, I'm going to have it. to pass the mic. Okay. So, uh, and then, yeah, so I got really, really sick one time. It was in early 95 and, um, I don't know, I guess since we're like talking about like said cherry matters and all that stuff, we can yeah. be like like a little out there be a little woo yeah so i i had this book that my dad had um for years and years called how the great religions began and it was just like this little overview of the you know like very simple tellings of like the origins of buddhism and christianity and judaism and islam and 
believe Zoroastrianism was in there as well. Whoa. So yeah, it was like this over, like kind of survey, right? And I sat and read this book because I was, I mean, I was in my mid-twenties and all of a sudden I was like, uh-oh. had these, uh-oh, uh-oh. hold on. Oh my Uh-oh. Did you please report this? Yeah, uh, what happened was Ponyo just went after some little whippersnappers and barked at them, and the man was, like, flailing his leg in space at him and smiling, but I think he was kind of really mad. And he was saying, if your dog barks at my kid like that, I'm going to kick at it. And he was, like, kicking in the air, like, in a circle, like, <laughs> kind of like some kind of martial art. Right? Can I just, I mean... I do feel like I always take the dog's side in any dog versus child situation. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> but I feel like if I was him, I would have picked up my baby that was screaming. Instead of, <laughs> instead of dragging her screaming behind me as I approached the dog to kick it. I'm going to go give him Ponyo's business card. <laughs> Every month he can, he can, maybe he wants to join Ponyo's friendship club card. Sure. <laughs> You'll get little pictures of Ponyo every month and remember, look back fondly on his experience in the park. <laughs> I feel like I just had an aneurysm. Oh my god. Well, that was intense for everybody. <laughs> what? Where he almost kicked in the head one of the world's smallest dogs. <laughs> this happened. The dog is wearing a cape. That was it. I think it was the cape. That it's like a dog coming at you is one thing. Yeah. A dog coming at you wearing some kind of costume. That suggests superpowers. It suggests superpowers. So you have no idea what kind of what kind of force this dog is coming with. Producer Ponyo just threw off her headphones, left the board. She all the levels got all fucked up. She ran across the park at these children barking. Normally, if I mean no one's gonna do this instinctually, but if they had stopped, if they just stopped for a second, she would have been like, "Yay!" and like yeah. jumped up to it, them. Yeah, there, it was a fight fire with fire response. It was, it was uh, uh, a very immediate uh, turn to. Uh, kicking uh, some type of kicking violence, and but he was smiling the whole time too. That's why, like, I could almost kind of hear what he's saying. I couldn't hear, but I was confused because, I, like, he's kind of laughing, but he's also like kind of saying, like, I'm gonna kick your dog. I'm gonna kick at it. <laughs> I kind of said, kicking at a dog never has calmed down a situation. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I just want to tell people, like, if a dog is running at you, like. You may want to. You might want to kick it, but the diet's not going to de-escalate things. Sure. You can yell no, and that generally will. Sure. Because dogs know that. They know that word. That's one of the words that, oh, kind of universally, dogs know. Yeah. So like sometimes if like a dog's chasing me on my bike or something, I'm like, no, bad job, no, sit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try my best. Uh huh. I don't kick and flail. No, I mean. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> We have a we have like a two gallon pot of pretzels here as well in the park. This is the Topiary Park in Columbus, beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio. Um, for it's it's on the uh, the grounds of the old deaf school. It said it's a very historic area in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but wait, so did you finish talking about the beginning of religion? Oh yeah, so I just read this book and I was like, wow, like, and I mean. It's one of these books, like, yeah, the author's point was, like, point out, like, look how many similarities there are between the fundamental beliefs of these varying religions from all over the world, from different times, different places. And so I was just like, oh, you know, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. And, like, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school and stuff. I, I, uh, the witness the nun brutality. I never really had the nuns do anything to me because I was such a good kid. You know, but I witnessed a lot of like really messed up stuff, and so like I had this like spiritual like background or ideas in my head. But and and then I read this book, and I was like, oh, this was really kind of interesting. And I started reading more about 
Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just really struck home for me, and especially Buddhism because my, uh, and like Zen in particular, because my, I feel like my focus in my life, like all my comics and painting and music and all these different things I was doing, I was trying to like figure out this feeling I had about everyday life. Like I felt even from a young age, like just being out in the world had this like mysterious undercurrent to it that was really fascinating, um, but also kind of I didn't really understand, you know, it's it's like a tip of the tongue kind of feeling like I was seeing something or sensing something in the world that was really uh, like drew me towards it, but I never I didn't really understand what it was. And, and, you know, Zen Buddhism in particular, it's focused on like finding that kind of divine is probably the wrong word, but this kind of power in everyday life and, and kind of getting down to the fundamentals of what's going on Mm -hmm. and uh i liked that about it and i and also just that like buddhism is a very (laughs) yeah i know what's going on here christian oh she's a fundamentalist christian Christian. so that's like uh, the occult yeah (laughs) buddhism is the occult yeah oh Oh, I'm very sorry to talk about the occult. Thank you. To you, was that frightening or upsetting in some way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I don't want to bite that man's foot. <laughs> that looked good. He put his foot right by my mouth, and I thought about biting it. Arr. I thought about biting it because I was just so mad. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> risen. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> So, uh, yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, so, and also, Buddhism's like a real DIY religion, you know? So it's like, like the Buddha said, like, it's your own effort, like, you know? And he, like, the Buddha said, too, like, uh, I have these things that work for me, and I'm going to tell you about them, and you can, if you, if it sounds good, you can try it in your life, and if it doesn't work, you, like, discard that part, and if some part of it works for you, then, you know, feel free to use that part but don't you know be a light unto yourself you know so that like kind of was like oh okay that's kind of cool like yeah. you, you know and so you know it was just there were a lot of really attractive things to about it to me and uh it just felt very natural to like learn more about this stuff and apply it to my life is there any kind of buddhist um phrase or saying or thing that you or like mantra like Something that you say to yourself in your head to like keep you on track, like during the day, or that sure. kind of calms you. Yeah, there's this book. My favorite book is called uh, uh, "Opening the Hand of Thought" by Kosho Uchiyama Roshi. So he was a Japanese teacher, but he taught a lot of. And he, he like came. He like studied like Western philosophy and stuff. So he had like a pretty good grasp on the Western mind stuff. And he had a lot of uh, students from Europe and and North America and stuff. So he 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 was like really effective explaining a lot of the stuff. But he had a couple of phrases, and he would say, uh, um, like all this stuff that we're experiencing is, is the scenery of life. Mm. So like, life is this thing that we get really caught up in, but in many ways it's just it's like sitting on a like your life is like you're sitting on a train and watching the scenery go by. That sounds kind of like... It's probably a little too complicated to explain. That was a bad example because it's just going to confuse people. But um, probably my favorite one is from uh, this Zen teacher from Japan from the 13th century, uh, Dogen Zenji. And he, he... I mean, he was like... He was a voluminous writer. He has like thousands of pages of writing. And so, and all of it's really interesting. But like he 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 said he said that the self sending itself out in a ray sees itself, and that's kind of what I think the whole universe is. Like I think that there's something in this universe that, um, like the whole universe is one whole, and when something like when there's one thing. When the whole universe is one thing, there's nothing. 
because you can't have just one thing. The only way to have something is to have two things that are in reference to each other, right? If, if everything's one thing, it's just this massive thing and there's nothing else. And so like the, like the self, the little self is our individual lives and your puppy and these trees and all this stuff. And, and all these little selves out in a race spread out across this universe reflect on this larger thing that is universal. Whoa. Isn't that intense? And so, uh, um, kind of, I think that's like what the universe is. I think that's what it is. The self setting itself out in a ray. And, and it's, it's, I don't know that it's an intelligent, you know, conscious force or something like a man with a big white beard sitting somewhere on a throne. Uh, but it's, it's like in order, it's like in order to see your face, you have to look in a mirror, right? You can never see your own face. You have to have a reflection. And this universe is that reflection of this greater unity. Well, sometimes I, <laughs> I never did drugs. And sometimes I regret not ever doing psychedelics because people would have done hallucinogenic drugs. Talk about a moment where they feel one yeah. with every other being or with the universe. And I never generally hear people that are not that have not done some kind of like mind altering experience do that, but I kind of am chasing that feeling. Well, I mean, and the, the, you know, I mean, that's the, I think that that feeling is present. There's, there's lots of ways to get there. You know, I think most religions eventually are going to lead you there to mm -hmm. this point. It may take eons, you know, um, but even like, I mean, like meditation, is a way to find that place. Mm -hmm. And, um, but even like, I think anything, any process that you absorb yourself in where you kind of lose you that sense of self, it could be sports, you know, running, swimming, um, dog fighting, dog fighting, kicking a dog, like kicking, flailing in, in a circular wild moment while smiling. <laughs> As long as, you know, what, because what it is, is we're born, right? And we're born into this body. And we're like, oh, I'm over here and Nicole's over there. So, like, there's Nicole, here's me. We're different things. We're different people. There's that tree over there and there's another tree. Those are two different trees. And everything about our universe, about what we can sense, is leading us to believe that we're these independent, single entities in this big world and we see things in oppos opposition to ourselves. And wh what all these spiritual practices are doing is breaking down that sense of this little ego, mm -hmm. the little self. So when, when like, uh, you read the translation of that line, the self setting itself out in a ray sees itself, that self is the, the, the self is the capital S self, which is this unified whole. Mm. And it's that little self that we latch on to. And by these spiritual practice, and, and I mean, the thing is, in Buddhism too, the contradiction is part of it. So like, I mean, that little self, you are Nicole, and I'm John, and we are these two different people, right? But it's under underlying that is a kind of unity and wholeness that we lose track of. So any kind of practice that you have that helps you break down that little self or forget about that little self can can lead to that feeling inside you which I think we all kind of know but we're programmed and we our experience goes against the idea that like yeah we're we're actually we're part of this stuff not only are we part of this whole but that's like our actual true nature and there's like the famous metaphor of waves on an ocean, a sea, right? So there's these individual waves, and it's true, there are these individual waves, but you go down below the surface, and it's, the waves, it's just water. It's, everything's water. And um, so that's like my cosmic uh, soapbox for today. We're, like we're all, as Yoko would say, didn't Yoko say we're all water? Maybe. Yeah. Sounds right. So the Zen of King Cat. 
The Zen of Yoko. The Zen of Yoko is what we could call this episode. Yeah. Um, well, oh, oh, my helicopter. Is that approach. your chopper? Yeah, Trump said it. He, he, I just got a text from him, uh, or uh, I mean a direct message on Twitter. Oh, you just got a DM? He DM'd you? Yeah. He slid into your DMs? Yeah, and he's, he said he's sending down his, his copter for me now that I've, I've successfully subverted the um, independent comics culture of Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, Kasich was in on it too, but I'm kind of playing both hands, you know, okay. one against the other. Doug, Doug, come here. I have a couple more questions for you. Then you have to go get in your chopper. I see the rope the rope uh, ladder is coming down for yeah. you, and I see an orange hand extending. Uh-oh. Will you grab her, Aaron? Yeah, I got a kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have two dogs. What do your dog's voices sound like? Uh, well, Stephanie, my girlfriend, doesn't like it, but Iris's voice sometimes. <laughs> it's like, kind of, do you know Davy and Goliath? Yeah. Like, hi, I'm Iris. I'm very cuddly and happy, and I just like to look at the flowers. What does your girlfriend think the dog's voice sounds like? It doesn't sound like that, because uh-huh. she says that makes him, her sound dumb. It does make her sound, but it seems kind of seems kind of spot not, on for a Sharpay, then, well, not, to, not to be mean to Sharpay. I try not to project too much, but Gibby talk, <laughs> Gibby's voice is definitely like the voice of a six-year-old boy in like a toy commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, hey, oh my god, this new toy, it's so awesome and stuff. Like, come on, hey, you guys want to come over here and play with my new toy and stuff? Like, I got this really cool toy, and I'm going to run around and stuff. You want to play? Ponyo's voice, which you said is kind of like a horrible, squeaky voice that gave me the smoker's voice I have today, which is, hey, I love, this is great. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Like, kind of a little squeakiness there. She's real squeaky. I'm a little squeaky. all, like, covered in, like, slime and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> My dog Lamb Chop. I want to have a seance episode sometime. My dog Lamb Chop, who's past. Oh, I'm killing this thing. <laughs> Lamb Chop's voice is like, hey, how's it going? Hey, come down there, young. I'm Lamb Chop. Whippersnapper. Hold on, hold on. Come down there, young lady. <laughs> like he would bark. Whoa. Whoa. Nelly there. And Beja was like, that's like really cool. Like that toy looks so cool. Oh my God. Like, Gibby, can I like seen that toy I don't know can I like I don't know like look at that toy a little or something Gibby's like so cool he has like really nice hair and he's like so hot yeah (laughs) that's what Beja yeah after she after Beja became an insecure teenager what happened to the Kong the Kong is somewhere at your feet it's at your feet oh do you have any last minute advice for young cartoonists or young artists <laughs> I was gonna say something. I, I, you know what? Can I talk about regret? Yeah. I, I regret saying that John Kasich was in on the helicopter lift because, right? John Kasich kind of hates Trump, right? I think so. Like, is Kasich like one of the like more normal Republicans, or at least like he knows how to like act normal in public and yeah. stuff? Isn't that true? I, I think so. I don't really know. I know. I know. My friends in Ohio were very disturbed when he won, but then I think. I think he like got a real like smacking down at at the at the polls or something or like they like Ooh. they had like a referendum and knocked down some of his stuff. Wasn't he gonna like kill the unions or something like his buddy Scott Walker? Can't remember. Yeah. So anyhow, he might be you know probably maybe he's a s- sleeper agent. Kasich. Yeah. Like he's maybe he's working for like the voices the the forces of moderation in Ohio. Oh. So you regret that. Yeah, because that was politically dumb. Okay. We're going to try to be but more I, politically I, I, astute. I tried, to be, I tried to be funny and extend the, the Trump helicopter thing to um, include our, our fair state of Ohio, the state that's... Did you know that Ohio is the only state that's high in the middle and round on the edge? I did know that. I did know that. <laughs> As he throws the Kong. Gracefully throws the Kong across the How many states has Ponyo been to? Ponyo's been to a lot of states. Okay, Ponyo's been... Maybe it's easier to say the states Ponyo hasn't been to. Well, she's actually been in Oregon, California, Ohio, Virginia, New York, Vermont, the Massachusetts. Um, I don't remember where. She's been to a lot of cities. Has she been to Wisconsin? No. Oh, come on to Wisconsin. We would like to. All right, do you have any advice for young cartoonists? Or old cartoonists? 
Advice for old cartoonists. Is it supposed to be funny advice or like real? Both. Ladies' choice. Man's choice. Uh, Body's choice. My my only advice is like figure out, find out what you you only you do, and then bring that out. Like find out what's inside yourself and bring it out. And then if you do that, then you'll your work will be unique, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, it's fine to have like heroes or inspirations or things but you got to you know find that thing that's only yours and that's what art's all about and probably life's all about too i getting my leash put back on because i barked what do you think about that i don't think it's very fair yeah i'm panting (laughs) i'm panting right now wearing an outfit oh so i'd say that just like do your find out what your thing is and do it and then keep doing it The comics save your life. It's okay if it didn't. I've always said that rock and roll saved my life. Like, that was the thing that saved my life when I was a teenager, when I discovered punk rock music. And, um... To me, comics was just a part of that, you Mm -hmm. know? So, like, to me, punk rock wasn't just, like, loud music and shows and bands and stuff, but it was, like doing your thing and being yourself so it turned out that what I do and who I am is a cartoonist so in that way yeah the original inspiration came you know from that whole scene just like music and zines and shows and do it yourself and stuff so and comics was just naturally a part of that like if you're like that music you don't just like go to the shows you start start your own band and do your own songs and you put on your own shows so to me it was just naturally like if well if i like comics and making comics then you should publish your own comics and yeah it doesn't matter i feel like becoming from punk is so valuable because i feel like it's easier for me to separate um capitalism from art absolutely so i never felt i never felt entitled to having uh, money based on my art and I never felt like having it published by someone else meant that it was more important than me just publishing it myself. Totally. I mean, I had that thought uh, a few times this weekend. Like, um, maybe nowadays there's this whole, like, and I'm not putting anybody down, but there's this whole, like, maker culture and, like, you got to sell yourself and, like, here's you got your social media accounts and stuff like that. And that's all cool and stuff. But, like, for me, fundamentally, it was, I mean, that that's all completely extra I just wanted to make my art the way I wanted to make it and like it it was already a success because it was what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it and and I never thought about like how do I make a career out of comics I just drew comics for 30 years yeah and now you have a Patreon page I do have a Patreon page how do do people do it I I think it's Patreon slash Patreon.com slash John Porcelino but you probably Google it or something. I don't know how that stuff works. Well, it depends what level you sign up for, but you get like a little laminated uh, personalized membership card in the mail, which is uh, accepted at uh, institutions worldwide for perks. I'm lying. but 5% off anywhere you go. Yeah, 5% off everything everywhere in the whole world. Yeah. You just, you know, just ask for it and people will figure it out. And then... Um, if you do a little bit more, um, and then I send out like a like a, a newsletter called the South uh, called the Boney Island Observer, mm-hmm. which is like news of that month and things like that, and little special updates. But then I also send out little. If you do at a certain level, I send out zines in the mail and comics and um, little tchotchkes. Like I send out patches to people mm. and stuff like that and. You know, I got a couple other little special doohickeys that I'll I'll make for the people on the Patreon. But mostly, I mean, I will say with my Patreon, my my thing was it. I didn't want it to become a like extra job. You know, where it's like I I know people who have done it who like just spend all their time drawing postcards and stuff to mail out every month. It makes me want to die. Yeah, and so is my my thing was more like for better or for worse it was just like hey I do these different things like if you like that and you can and want to like chip in a little bit extra towards just like a general support of these things that I do here's like an easy convenient way to do it and 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 uh, so you know 
that's how I how I do it. And it's I mean, it has changed my life. It's been really great. I have one more question I forgot to ask. Mm-hmm. How are you different than your character, or are you? <laughs> what I'll say this: the first time I ever went to Seattle, I went to this house where like all these cartoonists live I think Tom Hart lived there and John Lewis and I think Ed Brubaker lived there too and when we went in Ed Brubaker I introduced myself and he said you're fatter than you draw yourself in your comics <laughs> I've always noticed that about you that's what I thought you were going to say <laughs> just kidding I always feel like my comics are a little bit more depressing than I am in real life yeah. I well yeah I, I all, well I will say, like, sometimes I think people, because my comics are, like, kind of quiet and reflective, mostly, you know, that people think I'm going to be, like, some, like, hermit monk, like, chanting mantras and, <laughs> and walking around, like, you know, like, la, 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 la. And actually, like, I like to tell, like, really repulsive jokes and be gross and laugh and be stupid. Yeah. And then you go home and light your incense. Yeah, and then I go home and say, oh. Wait, producer, Panya heard that you had a hard out. She's like, you said this is going to be 20 minutes. You're over You're over time. <laughs> she says, Mr. Porcelino has We're to go. out the, the razor blade. We're slicing this thing up. She's like, come on, we got to get it. Cut the sandbags, get the hook. Stop asking him questions, let the man go. Well. Arf. John P., thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me to be on the podcast in the topiary gardens of Columbus, Ohio. This is the most beautiful place we could have done this, I think. It's a beautiful evening. It's a beautiful evening. Thank you so much. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.